Hello guys and welcome back to the What's Next podcast and I am delighted to have Shan Horn with me today. Uh, Shan has been has become a fantastic friend of mine so I'm so happy to talk about her story and about where she is now. So welcome Shan to the podcast. Good morning, how are you? The sun is shining. I know it's fab isn't it? Absolutely. 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 Oh yeah, no, look, when the sun's shining, we're all smiling. So that's Absolutely. all good. Absolutely. So um, we've been good friends now for the last few months, but I kind of wanted to bring it back to the start for you um, and where your passion for where you are now has come from. So we'll start with kind of secondary school time, that kind of age, 16 to kind of 18. Where was your path and where did you want to go at that station? Okay, so when I, at that age, I was all about leading, I suppose. So when I started in the UK, you start senior school at 11. um, And I decided that I wanted to go to the same school as my sister. My sister was three years older than me. um, And she was very popular. Mm -hmm. And there used to be such a thing called the school collegium, which Mm -hmm. was like um, the school board. And every year, four people would get voted on by their peers, by their, by their year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would be the head of that year. Mm-hmm. And I remember my sister being head of collegium always, you know, and I was like, I really want to go to that school. I'm quite competitive. It was a very sporty school. Yeah. And I played all the sports. Um, like I was playing football back then as well. I was the only girl playing football demanded to play because no girls were allowed to play. And I said, that's just crazy. So at seven, I started playing football. Um, I didn't even like football. I was just adamant that girls should have the right to play it. And I think that can kind of give you a good idea of where I've ended up. uh, (laughs) I've ended up like I am today. Yeah. Yeah. So I basically, my mum put my sister's school down as third choice. Okay. And I tipexed out the first two and put it as the first choice. Mm -hmm. And for years, my mum could never understand how I didn't get into the others. <laughs> and I was just like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I went to the school that I wanted to go to. It was a really good comprehensive school in Richmond-upon-Thames. Um, and um, the first thing I did when I got there was put myself forward to become part of the collegium. Okay. Um, and to this day, there's only two people that have been on the collegium for five years running, and that is Kim Horn and Sean Horn. Stop. Because if my sister could do it, I could do it. And that's how it used to work with us. We were competitive of each other. So I was always um, a leader, I suppose. At a very young age, I knew how to manage people. Mm -hmm. Um, I always was a social butterfly. I always, if there was a problem between groups, I was always the one that Mm -hmm. sorted that out. you know, I never stayed in one group. I loved to get on with everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I loved, I absolutely loved school, loved it. But oh, where, where did that come from, Shan, in terms of like the drive at even seven, you know, that kind of like innate kind of, you know, and I, I definitely see that in you now, you know, you're very passionate and you kind of, you know, do what you want and you're well able and very much leader in all the businesses you own. But where do you think that came from, like that sort of personality? So at that young age, my dad was a publican and he mm-hmm. worked for a big business, but mm-hmm. they, my mum and dad worked really hard. You know, we lived up, um, we moved to London when I was six. My dad and mum were training and children weren't allowed to live with people training in pubs. So we okay. lived in a room. So me and my sister, you know, me and my sister would look after me. I would look after her. And, you know, we were six and eight years old. So we had to grow up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was a bit of a maverick. You know, I'd often hear stories of him going to head office and fighting to do what he thought was right. And, mm-hmm. and he was always right, actually. He was a, an amazing businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, they instilled in me that just because someone tells you to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. They also instilled in me to respect. So just because you don't think something is right, just don't go against it. But if you have a better way, explain it and negotiate your terms to make people come in your direction. So, so yeah, so he, he was a, you know, both him and my mum, but, but that it's that social side. I was, they taught, you know, obviously we grew up in pubs, so I had to start speaking to adults from a very young age. So I, 
I knew how to 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 be a chameleon, I suppose. You know, yeah, if yeah. different people need different things, and um, it doesn't mean they're good or bad people if they're not the same as me. Mm-hmm. I just have to deal with them differently. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. So, when you were in the kind of secondary school time, and you were kind of getting involved in that things, you're very much a leader. You were kind of doing, you know, you were very good at people management, I suppose, and socialising all that. In terms of career side and, and where you wanted to go, what was that kind of period of time like? Did you have a certain kind of route you wanted to go down, or were you kind oh, of? Absolutely, a- I was going to be a dance choreographer. Okay. On the West End. Love That's it. all I was going to do. So I, until I was in my 20, so I trained as a dance teacher. Okay. So I danced every day. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, no, not, not everybody knows that. So yeah, so, um, yeah, I just loved dancing. So I was a student dance teacher um, all the way through school. Mm-hmm. So I would, if I wasn't doing a class, I would be taking a class. Mm-hmm. Um, ballet, tap and modern jazz. I was all about it. And yeah, that's what I was going to do. That was all that was in my head was I was going to be a choreographer. That was it. Amazing. And, and what happened then? Why, why is that changed? I, I, I just realised that I was fat. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> but I like, I, I, I know, you know, I, I, I danced in the West End. I danced in the theatres. And, oh. um, and I, you know, and people would come into the change rooms and I would see them look at me and be like, Jesus Christ, like, look at the state of that. And I'd be like, do you know what? I'm going to kill you yeah. with my performance. Yeah. And I would. And I was a really, like, especially tap. I was, and I don't mind saying it, I was really good. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I, I was fascinated with that. I didn't know. That. So, like, were you, so when you left school, did you go into, like, did you train? Like, did you actually train in this area? So I left school. Um, so it's slightly different. Like, when you leave school, so I went to sixth form college so okay. it's different in the UK it's a little mm-hmm. bit different for your leaving so you actually get to choose what you do for your A-levels so you mm-hmm. pick subjects that obviously correspond to you yes so I picked photography theatre studies and dance okay um for my A-levels mm-hmm. and went to college absolutely hated theatre studies okay because it was very much like English literature and mm. I'm dyslexic completely mm. and I really struggle with the written word. So that was really tough for me. Mm-hmm. So I hated it. And yeah. I had no interest in going to a theatre and watch some Russian playwright and then write 4,000 words about it. It yeah. just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. I did dance, but actually I was more qualified to teach the dance than the dance teacher that was teaching us. So that just grated me. And photography... I just, do you know what? I remember turning up to the arts department one day and I was, my parents had moved back to Wales. So I was 16, living by myself in London, working more or less full time because I needed that for the, for the money. Yeah. And I went to college and I walked into the study and my class were all around um, a piano. Mm-hmm singing let it be by john lennon yeah uh like because their lives were you know so dreadful at 16 and they had such pressure and i was just like this isn't for me yeah these people haven't got a clue like because they're all living at home and i'm struggling here and and i just went you know what actually i love making money so let's go do it so i was at the time I was probably on my sixth job, I'd say. Mm. And I was working for Jigsaw Retail. And so I left college and I went to work for Jigsaw. And at 16, they offered me the assistant manager's post in Richmond, which I took. Mm. Um, And at 17, they offered me the manageress position in their Hampstead branch, which I took. Incredible. Um, And I got the (laughs) You realise how how unusual that is? Like, do 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 you comprehend... Like maybe from just from the outside perspective, I mean that's so such like, I mean, it's an incredible story. Like, I mean, it 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 really is. The story is, and I don't know. Do you maybe you do, but I don't know. Do you appreciate the value of the story? Like, it's, you can write a book in this chat. Like, it's just to to have a life where at sixteen you were living in London by yourself. Very few people have that story, and then have the success you've had and had the experience you had. Like, do do you appreciate? 
the upbringing you've had in terms of work like or, or do you just feel like it just happened like that and it was all we knew was to graft yeah mm-hmm. we weren't taught anything else yeah you know, when my parents moved back to Wales, I have three younger sisters. Now, two, the two youngest I never lived with because they were born, mm-hmm. you know, much later. Mm-hmm. Same mum and dad, just big gaps. Yeah. And um, they all went to university. Yeah. That didn't even enter me or my sister's head. We, we did go back and both got our, you know, we both studied later in life. Mm-hmm. Um. But it didn't enter our head at that time. We just needed to work. We needed to get money. We needed to survive. We needed to, we both wanted to stay in London mm-hmm. um, because we'd grown up there. All our friends yeah. were there. Yeah. So yeah, no, I didn't think it was unusual. A lot of my friends were doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, in, in the UK, you don't stay at home. At 18, you get out. Yeah. Yeah. And Very definitely, yeah. definitely in my age time, 100%. Everybody, whether it was uni or whatever, no one, no one lived at home. Yeah. It's very, it's very different because I think we go back to you wanting the dancing and the choreography and all that. And, and I know now, obviously, we're talking about different times of your life and, and we're fast tracking small. But, but like, was that, a, was that a, a period of time where you had to digest that or was it a very easy decision to let go of? Because you, you never... Well, I continued. Okay. Like, I... I, I I wasn't going to make money, the money that I needed to make from the dancing, but, oh, I worked every day. So um, I always had two jobs, actually. I always had two jobs, but so I used to work full-time at Jigsaw and then I would dance every night and every Saturday and Saturdays. So I would start dancing, like, for instance, like I dance from 7 a.m. till 11 on a Saturday and I would run Richmond High Street and be in work by half 11 um, to finish at half six. If I was working till five or six, then I would run Richmond High Street and I'd be in teaching like 20 minutes after my end time. Yeah. And that's how my life worked. I was always running from one job to the other. Yeah. And that, that kind of hasn't changed really sure hasn't in terms of like you love that. You love the variety of it. Yeah, absolutely. Variety is the spice of life. A change is as good as a rest. Yeah. I don't get tired because everything I do and everything I've always done, actually, I've always really enjoyed. So yeah. Yeah, no, but but you but there was a choice thing there, and there was no choice. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I always say to people, I lived in Surbiton, mm-hmm. so I, when I became manager at seventeen, I would have to get a train from Surbiton to Waterloo, and then the tube from Waterloo to North London, which is the other end of the train. So it would take me two hours to get to work in the morning and two hours to get home. Well, like it's amazing. Like that's a huge amount of commitment to any, to, you know, for free for, for. But but it seems to have been the way you just seem to love what you do. Like I mean, it, it, it's like in London, you've got no choice. Like yeah. I mean, when I I remember moving here. Like I know we're skipping, but I remember moving here and working in Donnybrook in Dublin and living in Sandyford in Dublin and my friends going oh my god you live miles away because here everybody seems to want to do everything on their doorstep where in London commuting for two hours to get to work is not unusual. I think that's very true I mean I I don't know many people that commute more than an hour really like and and that would be unusual you know what I mean like that even we we do like our things kind of near which is an interesting it's a different way of life and I think you've really shown the the change of culture with that in terms of upbringing in the UK and Ireland maybe and also we we live on a day-to-day basis but you you got so you got the management role um in Jigsaw at 17. Absolutely (laughs) and I got the sack at 17 because I was shit (laughs) And do you know what? The reason I was so rubbish was because I'd only had one manager yeah. and he was a complete asshole. Yeah. I loved him. And I and this back to this respect thing. If Adrian told me to do something, mm-hmm. he was the boss. So I never questioned it. I just mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. But he was quite vile, really. When I look back and I'm like, oh, God, like it was a real dictatorship that he ran. Okay. Yeah, I would go f- for a drink with him after work illegally um and we just were the best of friends but he was he was not a great boss but he was the only boss I ever knew at that time really yeah yeah so I thought then as a manager at 17 if I told somebody to do something they would just do it but that is not how it works (laughs) and do you think I don't mean to say respect but do you think your age affected that 
like if someone came in as working part-time in their 20s and a 17 year old's telling them what to do was was there an age problem do you think you know what when I got the sack um it was so funny because so this is what I, the head Helen was her name I always think I shouldn't mention him anyway um god knows if she's still around I don't know um head office actually rang me and this is back to like the social thing you know I was friends with everyone mm-hmm. and head office rang me and said she's coming down and she's going to sack you quickly write your resignation and then she'll have to pay you for the month <laughs> so I quickly wrote it so in the big scheme of things I handed in my notice but I was going to get the sack okay. so and when I gave my notice in before she sacked me yeah um, she apologized to me and she said look I have to be honest I thought you were 25 you don't look 17 you don't carry yourself like a 17 year old your life isn't of a 17 year old Mm -hmm. and I just didn't realize and I would never have offered you the position if I'd realized your age you just weren't ready and 100% I wasn't ready Mm -hmm. um but I think if I had known that a management was in sight and with the right direction, I would have been ready. Okay. So that wasn't a failure of me. That was a failure of the, of the, yeah. you know, the company yeah. that I worked in, yeah. but I left that. Um, and I went straight back into management mm-hmm. because I'd learned so much from them. Yeah. 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 It was a learn. So where did you go next? So then so then the next job was, um, I was just like, oh my God. So I just literally went into this wine bar that I used to drinking all the time. And asked, I was like, I'll just get a job in there. And yeah. then I was like, oh God, no, actually that's not going to be feasible because I'm 17 and I've been drinking in there for like two years. And um, so I remember asking for a chef's job. So I used to always help my mum in the kitchen okay. in their pub. So I was like, I, yeah, I can chef, I can do anything. And I got this chef's job and the first day I worked was November and um, it was Beaujolais Day, okay. which is a very famous day in the UK, especially we, we celebrate it. I know it's celebrated here, but not so much. Mm-hmm. And the Richmond Association of Diners were coming in that day and I had to cook Moore's Marinere, Boeuf Bourguignon and Paris Brest. I served three mussels on a plate because I'd never seen what Moore's Marinere looked like which is basically a big pile of mussels. I gave them three mussels each and the sauce was full of shell because I had no idea how to cook the sauce. I made so much boeuf bourguignon that we had to freeze it and he served a hundred people at his kids christening the following week. And the Paris breast hadn't defrosted. So that went out frozen. Um, now he gave me a second chance and I, was, I think I was there about three weeks. <laughs> um, and again, I made loads of mistakes. But that got me a job in a fantastic wine bar with a company called Scottish Newcastle. And they were amazing. And they took me through management training. Um, I ended up becoming a relief manager at 18. And I traveled around the country doing relief with my then boyfriend. By the time I was 20, we had our own pub in Bristol amazing and then um through that pub then we moved back to London because I missed my friends and everything so we moved back to Wimbledon Village and we split up and I kept the pub so I had the Swan in Wimbledon Village just by Wimbledon Tennis amazing um and then and then I decided to leave that just before my 25th birthday you know for five years Uh, six six with with the relief as well um but I just I kind of felt that I'd missed out on an awful lot and and I also knew that it just wasn't a healthy lifestyle for me it's a tough lifestyle isn't it well it's not yeah it's not a job it is a lifestyle yeah and um and I obviously I was doing it by myself I was very young and I just I just thought I'd become an alcoholic to be honest and when you mean, when you mean you felt you missed out, what do you mean by that? Because my friends had all left uni. They'd all gone, they'd gone, they'd done the Australia thing. They'd done the traveling. And, and every time I thought that I would leave the country and travel, a new opportunity came and a new progression in my career. Mm-hmm. And I just always thought that if I let them go, I couldn't come back to them. 
which again now I know that's not true yeah do you um, do you not regret but do you do you regret in some respects maybe you've been working since you were 17 you know what I mean and when I mean working, working since work, I was seven seven but I'm talking about full-time like 17 like you were working 14 I started 14. working 30 hours a week Four, 14 do yeah. you feel like like that's a very young age to start full-time work and to have that commitment and and, and to be do you do you regret in some respects that you didn't have maybe the childhood in any in any respects that you that you were able to travel oh, and I still had the childhood. <laughs> I still had the childhood, but but, but, but it, I paid for it. That's the only difference, you okay. know. I I just my mum and dad didn't have a lot of money, so if we didn't work, we didn't get the stuff we wanted, and I wanted that hob shirt. Yeah, you know, so I was going to get it. Yeah. Um, I remember like when I was 14, so you had to have a work permit. It's actually 26 hours you're allowed to work a week. Okay. You can only work them over a five-day period. Okay. And um, so I got myself a, a shoe shop job because okay. I, need, I knew I needed shoes. So for me, it would be like I'd be working out, okay, I earn this, then I get a discount from the thing that I need. So it would all be maths. Everything I did was about how do I turn yeah. that 1P into 5P. I just find it fascinating. Like I, just, I because it's such a, it, I don't know anyone like it. I mean that in such a positive way that it's it's incredible. Like it's an incredible story of of like well no if I want something I need to work for it and you and you have that still you know what I mean that's still yeah. you, you and you still seem to have passion for business and working as much as you were at fourteen. Like it just shows you how how well suited you are in this in, and and the variety it just really works for you, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I just love business. Yeah. Like yeah. it is. I mean, I do say sometimes it is a bit sad, you know, like we'll go out for a nice meal and we start talking to a couple, you know, on the next table or whatever. And by the end of it, I know her business and we're like, we've worked out her new strategy on her digital marketing. Yeah, I, know, I, love <laughs> but I just get a buzz out, you know, that like I am awful. I'll be like, oh, what do you do? Oh, have you got an Instagram page? Or let me have a quick look. Oh my God, why isn't that linked to your shop? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, it's just how my brain works and I love helping people and I love, yeah, I love, yeah. I just love business. So you, you left the pub at 25. So what was the next stage then after that? I was like, oh God, what will I do? So my friend um, offered me a job running his nightclub. Brilliant. At the same time, I got a, a part-time, uh, well, Full, that was so I worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in the night. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night in the nightclub, mm -hmm. which was Cheers nightclub. And then I worked um, five days a week at reception at David Lloyd Leisure. And then in the afternoons, three days a week, I worked as a fitting model for Evans up in Oxford Street. Amazing. So, um, so yeah, that was that was a good couple of years. Um, it was good fun. I was knackered that was tough because I would go from the nightclub I'd finish say at four and I'd have to start at 6 15 for reception and I'd finish at two and then I'd get on the train up to London and do the fittings in the afternoon um but it it got we got stuff done so yeah it was a, it was a good time that was quite a relaxed time for me I wasn't in a managerial role so I could actually enjoy the jobs per se I was managing the, the nightclub, but with somebody else. So it was very, very different. Um, but then David Lloyd offered me um, a duty manager position. Amazing. And so I took that then. And I decided if I'm going to go into the health industry, I should really be healthier. Okay. And so I decided that I'd lose weight, which then lost me my job at Evans. Um, because I worked as an outsized fit and model. And uh, but I stayed with David Lloyd and um, and I was with them for 13, 14 years. Uh, no, what am I talking about? Nearly 20 years. And when, when you when you were working in, in, in David Lloyd, because I think it's some, for me, I'm thinking of you were in a management role before before David Lloyd. Then you're going into reception. Right. Yeah. I don't suspect people in reception at all. But did you was there any sort of like, oh, I'd love to manage this place. Like, was there a bit of like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, I, did you feel like you were like, or was your plan actually, if I didn't hear now, there could be like, was there a long-term plan in that chat or were you just chancing it? To see? I think you know me. So titles mean naff all to me. 
I just think they are made up rubbish yeah. because yeah. if you're a leader, you're a leader. You don't need the title to state that. Mm-hmm. If you're good at your job, you know, quite often I've employed people and I just say to them, don't call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. It doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. If you think that makes a huge difference on your CV when you come and work for me, it really doesn't. Proof is in the pudding. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I look, I knew people would walk in. I was the receptionist. People would walk in and think I owned it. Okay. That's just how I am. <laughs> you yeah. know, I can't help myself. Yeah. People yeah. call it, you know, and when you're a woman, people call it, or, you know, she's bossy, she's this, she's not actually. I'm empowered and I'm strong and I'm capable. Yeah. So that's what I do. And I have always done that. I've always worked like a business was mine. I've always been concerned about the profit and loss mm-hmm. because that affects me. Mm-hmm. Because if the profit and loss isn't right, I don't get a pay rise. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, so no, I, I didn't care. I went in as reception and I was on reception, I think 10 weeks. And just went off the, and then went off the scale. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible though. Like that's because it's like, I don't know if many people have that though, like in their head, like in any, especially starting out, like about the profit and loss about, you know, you know, you see people working and they have no interest in being there and you're thinking if you don't act in a nice way it could affect like I don't think people have that in their mind maybe you working at a younger stage you appreciate the value of business and you know it, it all seems to have kind of helped you in that I think the value of business comes from my mum and dad in my uh you know in my early teens ended up working for themselves and so that was a big learn for me mm-hmm. yeah so I really understood and I have always understood that, you know, there's always someone at the top that owns it Mm -hmm. and they've got the pressure of paying me Mm -hmm. and it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, unless you do it, you'll never know that it's not easy. And no one ever thinks that they, you know, people, I I just find, you know, I worked, David Lloyd was part of Whitbread Brewers and it's a big corporate, massive corporate. And, um, you know, people would say, oh, this, I'm not paid enough. This, Well, leave, leave. If you're not happy, you must leave because there's a reason that the wage is there and that everybody gets paid that. If you show them a way that you can make more money for them, they can give you more money. Mm-hmm. So always be the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say to my boss, look, you know, I think we can sell you know, an, a 50% extra on the tennis courts next week if we offer them X, Y, Z. But will we get a bonus for doing that? And he'd be like, uh, if you bring in an extra thousand, Sean, we've got 10% to give the girls behind the counter. And I'm like, okay, we're on it. We're going to do it. Yeah. yeah. So don't, you know, always find a way to make them more money so that they can give you more money. I love that. I think that's brilliant. I think, I think that's, I think as like obviously students coming out and, and listening to you it, it, it just shows you the mindset as well you need to have I mean it's all grand doing the work but the mindset for longevity and I think something else I wanted to touch on as well is you know okay you've gone to David Lloyd for, for 20 years but let, let's look at what we've talked about the amount of contacts the networking that I presume have helped you on your present work now in some way or another was that a massive part for you in terms of that was that networking element always there in you at the, from the very beginning absolutely so I think I was saying earlier you know I was a social butterfly mm-hmm. so you know when I moved to Ireland even in 2000 so if I'd when I first I had so many different groups of friends mm-hmm. in in London that mm-hmm. when I moved when I'd go home at the weekend I'd be like oh god it's impossible to see everyone yeah so I'd always tell instead of arranging to meet everybody I'd say I mean, I'm going to be in the dog and fox at five, whoever can make it. Mm-hmm. So then all the different groups would get together. Mm-hmm. Now they're all friends over the, like some of them have been bridesmaids for each other. Oh, but that's mean. So yeah. it's always been about connecting people. I'm only friends with good people. Mm-hmm. So they they're all going to love each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. they do. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, net, networking you know, people use the word networking. I call it making new friends mm. because actually that's what it should be. Yeah. 
it's, it's, it should be mutual sort of thing and, and relationship more than just using someone for something you know it should be that kind of building that friendship throughout the years um in terms so you 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 were in, in David for 20 years which is a long time to be in a place um why throughout that time you obviously were kind of going within the company um where were you at the end of that company and why did you decide to move on so we'd I, we'd won every award, <laughs> you know. I talk about being competitive. You know, I'd won Ops Manager. I'd won this. We'd won Club of the Year. We'd won International Club of the Year. We'd won. We just won everything. And um, in two thousand and eight, one of my remits as operations was to franchise out some of the business. And two of the parts of the business that they wanted to franchise out was. Um, the bar and restaurant and the booty, the spa. So under my remit, I, I was assistant manager of ops. So I would run all, so the department heads would report in to me at that time in, in that position, I suppose. So I had 112 staff um, and 12 department heads. Mm-hmm. So I ran the spa and I ran the restaurant and I ran the tennis, you know, other people would run it too, but I was just like, I remember saying to my boss, oh my God, I feel sick to let go of the spa. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. And, and it was very successful and everything else. And he was like, buy it. And I was like, I haven't got any money. <laughs> so I just, bought, I just bought a house like two years previous, yeah. right in the boom. And um, I was like, I just, and he goes, look, I, we'll find a way. Mm-hmm. So I looked at it anyway. And basically I, I would need to give him, I think it was about 25 grand in three months. And I was like, okay, is this possible? So it was 2008. And I just thought, do you know what? Now it's time. I need to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I just did it. I took the leap, went to the bank, borrowed, I think, half of it. Mm -hmm. And just basically worked my tits off for three months didn't spend a penny, didn't go to the pub, mm. didn't meet my friends, didn't buy food, literally, and gave him that money at the end of the 12 weeks. And that business then was mine. Okay. And so it was a huge, like, it was massive sacrifices at the time. Yeah. And I, it was really tough, but 100% it was worth it. Mm. The only problem then, I suppose, is I was like, doing very very well Mm -hmm. but it was 2008 and we didn't really know what was coming and the recession hit Mm -hmm. and three months after I'd given him that money I was like I can do this again so I'd gone into another gym in Bray and I'd spent a lot of money in Bray because I had to build the actual premises and unbeknown to me in 2009 the recession like just hit beauty like I've never seen anything hit before it was crazy 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 and very worrying and I you know there's plenty of times I thought I was going to lose everything um and one of the biggest signs was actually so David Lloyd in Dublin is very affluent and every January the first we'd go out to the car park and every January the first you'd have the new year yeah plates And they'd all be the Mercedes and the Audis and they'd all be there. And I remember in 2009 walking out and going, we're in the shit like, because there was no two, there was no nine plates. Like there really wasn't. Mm -hmm. No one had changed their car. And I was like, this is serious now. So anyway, about six months later, I went to, I met my other half and he was up in Dublin for the weekend and I got a phone call on the Saturday. One of my beauticians was outside Bray and she couldn't get in. And I was like, what do you mean you can't get in? And she goes, it's all boarded up. And there's a sign saying that the gym has been foreclosed on. So I just never felt so sick in my life. Um, and that day, I suppose we'd, I'd invested about 60,000. There was 40 grand worth of machinery. So kind of in the morning, I'd, I'd lost really close to 100,000 overnight. And this is someone that didn't borrow any money per se, overdrafted it to a certain, you know what I mean? And so there was no backup plan. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, it was really, really scary. And w w when you say, when you say, you know, your, your beautician rang and it was all closed up, like, was there a warning, Shan? Like, was or just nothing. nothing? It just went. Nothing. Do you know what it was? Three, three business entrepreneurs in Dublin, D4, mm -hmm. I say that, I don't care. Um, you know, in saw, saw something like David Lloyd and went, we can do it because it looks easy. Never do that, guys, because it's never easy. Yeah. And yeah, basically, basically, they had investors. They completely just disappeared off the planet. I don't know if they've ever been seen again. Um, I was very lucky um, to know someone who knew someone who knew someone that could get my machines out. <laughs> yeah. I've never asked how they got them, and I don't care, but we got them out. Yeah. And um and I said, right, okay, we'll have to make, we'll have to try and make this money back now in in Dublin, in Donnybrook. Mm -hmm. And again, through my network, mm -hmm. I was telling a friend in Liverpool, and she went, I know what we can do. And I was like, what, what, what? And she goes, um, I know somebody that does fish pedicures in all the the big, mm -hmm. uh, big sales places, you know, the big shopping centres. And I was like, what? And she was like, and I was like, oh, I've seen them in Tenerife or whatever, you know? And I said, oh my God. She goes, Sean, he's making a mint. So I met this guy and he said, right, I'll put the tanks in your salon. Okay. I'll take all the money from Groupon, but you can meet the people. So I'm like, well, that's all I need. All I need is footfall yeah. because I know I'm a good saleswoman and I know my product is good so I can convert. <laughs> So we put those tickets on. So it was a fish pedicure. And then I asked um, Groupon to put on the thing. When you book, you can upgrade to a foot massage for 10 euro or file and paint for 15. The fish pedicure is eight euro. Um, I woke up the first day from a court with a call from David Lloyd saying you better get your ass into work now we're kicking you out of your salon <laughs> I was like what's happened and they went our phones cannot deal with this and I was like I don't know what you're talking about and they went fish pedicure I was like oh good god looked and we'd sold eight and a half thousand tickets it wasn't even 9 a.m oh my god <laughs> this had never been done in Ireland so People were traveling to me from Belfast, from Cork, from, I mean, it was unbelievable. So I basically took over reception. I took on two girls straight from college to do file and paints. Um, we put it up. I nearly got kicked out of David Lloyd. I had to put two new phone lines in to, to deal with the demand. Um, I think we sold 16,000 tickets all in all over a six month period. We probably saw 7,000 people. Yeah. We converted at 90% and increased our bottom right-hand corner by 98,000 that year. And I sold my business. Unbelievable. And I walked away from that business with no debt and a, and a new car. No debt, though, was the important thing. And the car was only a Kia, so don't get excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Like, it's just amazing. Like, it's just... And, like... To like, I I hate this because I don't think anything fell like, but like things did seem to happen for you in terms of you just seem to have been with the right people as well. Could you, would you say that like like that you or would you say that look it, you just know how to deal with people and business is just what you do best like or no, is it not like, I I I do things to people all the time and I never ask for anything in return. I've never asked anybody to work for me for free unless I've given them value. Mm -hmm. So I've done, you know, a contra deal with them or anything. I never have asked anybody to do anything for me ever. And I'm a doer. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm always the person that someone rings when their, mm -hmm. their computer gets broken. I'm the person that someone rings when they can't work out why no one's coming into their business. I'm the, I'm the person. Mm -hmm. So I've never, ever asked anything of anybody and it was only through a conversation you know that came back like the person that helped me Louise is my friend for life um but prior to her giving me that gift I had gifted her lots of connection 
it's like, so like, like, karma, like it's, yeah it's, it's a bit you know you you, you give out but you'll, you'll get a return some other way you know kind of way absolutely if you give to receive you're in trouble but actually, in times of need, if you're a giver, it will always come back to help you. And it shows character, doesn't it? It shows character in someone. It shows... I didn't know there was any other way, to be honest, Alison. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't know there was another way. But I see, you know, as you get older, you meet a lot of people that think there is another way, but they're not my people. So I don't really surround myself with them. I think, I, I don't think many people are like that. Like, I, I don't. I I. I don't I, I think I think as as from from what I've look I'm only starting out but I I think people I I don't believe a lot of people have that trait I, I really don't and I think that I think the that thing be. is people expect to be paid for loyalty mm-hmm. and that's actually not how it works you have to show loyalty to be rewarded for it yeah, yeah. and that starts actually here it doesn't work you know shit rolls downwards Mm -hmm. it doesn't roll upwards Mm -hmm. so you know like if I I run a small business and you know I can name the people that have made a difference that have worked for me Mm -hmm. to me and those are the people that you know when I've said look I've got this promotional idea Mm-hmm. We're probably going to work our tits off for five hours. Does anybody want to help me? The person that says, yeah, Sean, I want to help you is the person that I say, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then some people go, oh, I'm not doing that. You don't get paid for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, don't do it. But then don't moan. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think in business specifically, I mean, it's not all about getting cash at the end of the day because I realized very quickly in business that it's more it's it, it's so much more like and I and I I probably knew elements of that but it's about learnings it's about experience it's about education it's about networking it's about it's even about me meeting someone and listening to their side of business and what they understand and then oh my god I didn't think of it that way for me that's priceless and yeah. that's nothing to do with money it's to do with experience it's to do with life and it's to do with building your own self as a human being forget the business side of it and Absolutely. I think that's something I've learned a lot from you in that respect because I think that's something that business people need to understand Chan or anyone students coming out yes. it's, we think it's a very easy road and I and I and I came out very naive of thinking I'm sorted I know everything get me a job I'm fine like I, I did and and I don't mean that in any respect to anyone but I came out like oh my god great degree that's not the case you're you're actually only starting that <laughs> you're only starting them you know yourself you know we we've done stuff together and I've gone and you've gone oh my god I would never think of doing that like everything like look the qualifications you get and I know you know I went back and I studied later I did European employment law I'm doing coaching degree now as we're talking Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just a piece of paper it's not real yeah you know what I mean you know, like, so when I'm coaching with my clients, sometimes I'm using coaching style, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time people employ me as a mentor because experience is what they need. Yeah. yeah. And that mentor side is, is, is good if you can move it into coaching then, because you don't want to dictate people. All you can do is show them, but they have to make the decision. It's their gut that drives their business, not yours. So, you know, that's what a good mentor does um, is gives them the information, but let them then run with it. Mm-hmm. So you you were in Dublin and you sold yeah. the salon. Uh, was that 2010? 2010, was it? Or what year is it now? 2020? Yeah, 2010. 10. So what then was the next pass for Sean Horn? <laughs> Well, actually, here we go again. So dropping back into, look, I'll do what it needs to be done. So in 2010, I, I I wanted to move here and I'd met my other half and I was coming up and down, but I couldn't justify taking time off work in my own business because if I take time off, I've got to pay someone. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just get a part-time job down here. So I went back to reception and worked in origin hair design. Brilliant. And people would say, but you've got your own business. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. again. Fergal will tell you I I you know I ran that desk like it was mine but I needed to be doing something yeah 
And people were very suspicious of, you know, why does she want a job when she's got her own business? It's because I was selling my business. Mm -hmm. So I went, anyway, I worked there and then I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And um, I was actually talking to one of the guys from Groupon. And he was like, I was the first beautician to go on Groupon on the first day it launched in Ireland. So, and then I used it obviously for the fish. Mm -hmm. So I knew the business really well. And actually... I loved it and I, because of the way that I used to work it, it worked perfectly for my business. Mm-hmm. So he said to me, why don't you apply and come and work in Cork for us? So I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. I'm not a sales. Mm-hmm. And he just started laughing. <laughs> he was like, Sean, seriously, like ice to the Eskimos, what are you on? And I said, I don't think of myself as a salesperson though. I think of myself as someone that recommends shit that I love. Yeah, yeah. I can't do without, so no one can do without it, you know? And he was like, but that's exactly it. And you love Groupon. And I said, do you know what I actually do? And Groupon has a really bad name, but do you know what? If you work it right, it's genius. And so I said, okay. So I went for the interview, got the job. And initially I was take on all the small businesses around Cork City, mm-hmm. which was fantastic for me because I got to meet people and my network started to grow. And then secondly, I did the deals that worked for the business and I trained the business how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the times I'd go in and help them on the first day with the calls because Groupon is all about bringing you footfall. If you don't convert that footfall, that's your problem. That is not Groupon's problem because let me tell you, I did them myself for years and we our conversion rate was 80%. Wow. But what happens with people, and I actually got a really good example. My friend ran me the other night and she goes, oh, I went for this facial and it was, you know, a Groupon did, it's 39 pounds. This was in London. Mm-hmm. She goes, as I walked in, the woman like started telling me that actually it's part of a package and I should upgrade straight away and it's 350 quid. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's completely mental. Because why would someone that thinks it's okay to spend 39 pound be converted before they've had a treatment to spend nine times that amount? The woman is mental. That is just such bad practice. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend was like, what would you do? And I said, I would have A, done the treatment first, mm-hmm. made you love me mm-hmm. and what I was doing for your skin. And then at the end of the treatment, I would have said, look, I'll be honest, I think you should do this. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a little tester now. And I would continue the treatment mm-hmm. and I would offer you something at between 50 and 70 pound mm-hmm. because you can comprehend that jump yeah. You cannot comprehend a jump that's nearly 10 times more. Yeah. It's like a psychological and, thing, really, isn't it? Like, you have to look at it from a like psychological psychological. Yeah, yeah. So, but I know that my friend was like, I'm not going back there. She, she nearly killed me with the sales pitch. And the woman would be going, well, what a waste of time that was. She just came for a 39 euro, Groupon's rubbish. Actually, no, yeah. you're rubbish. Play the game. Yeah, she should have on that voucher, upgrade on the day for... Uh, eyebrow wax and tint for 15 quid do you know what I mean like keep the add-ons keep the add-ons so um so yeah so basically did that group on and then I ended up taking over all the five star um hotels in Munster which was fabulous (laughs) so I used to do all the deals for them which were just amazing deals because they were limited tickets you know and I was working with places like Dromoland and um photo island which yeah. i've always had an amazing relationship with and yeah again my network it really grew so i never did a deal that i thought would be detrimental to the business mm-hmm. yeah you you looked from a business point of view yeah. more so than groupon's point and then that return was good for groupon during kind of way but you looked at it from a it's a human that like you have to look at it from a human side like and I think that's what some t- people miss it's the human side of it so you, i don't want anybody to be a busy fool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i want them to make money yeah absolutely and if they're happy they'll come back and do another yeah. one with me yeah absolutely and it, and it builds that relationship then doesn't it and as you said the folks and likes them it, in the long term it, it helped you as well 
in terms of Groupon, then you 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 left Groupon uh, in what year? Oh God, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> uh, seven years ago. Yeah, seven years ago. So ninety. Uh, it was two thousand three. Okay, yeah. And I'm still helping Origin. I was still doing all their paperwork, their wages and stuff for them. So I pop in there once a week and do that. And then um, I met through them. I met a Pilates instructor. I always loved Reformer Pilates, um, and we decided to do a partnership. And we opened Elite Pilates. Um, so it was the first specialised Pilates reformer studio in Cork and in, in Munster probably at the time. There was a couple of physios that had like one or two machines. Okay. Um, but we were specifically for classes. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that partnership didn't work out, which we kind of knew the day we opened. But we said we'd all give it 12 months. Um, and, and the partnership split up. We, end, we offered them to buy us out, but we ended up buying them out in the end. Um, and that that was tough as well. You, the partnerships are very difficult. And yeah, yeah, because I I like I obviously don't, don't want to delve into that specific partnership, but in terms of partnerships in general, what is your opinion on them? I mean, is do you have to have someone who is very like minded, or okay. do you just have a different? This is my problem with partnerships. Okay. So it's like getting married. Okay. <laughs> But it is. It's like yeah. getting married because yeah. you've got to love each other. Mm -hmm. So what happens at the beginning? Two people or three people go into business because they need each other. Mm -hmm. So it might be that John is really good at financials, mm -hmm. and Alice is really good at front of house, mm -hmm. and Sarah is great at whatever. Yeah. What happens in the partnership is John starts teaching Alice. Mm -hmm. So then Alice becomes really good at financials. Right. And John becomes really good at front of house mm -hmm. and the other one, do you know what I mean? And then what happens is people forget why they went into the partnership in the first place. They lose the identity, like. Well, they, they forget why they needed each other. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I don't really need that person now because I know that now, but mm -hmm. you only know it because that person taught you it mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do. So what I always say to partnerships and like I have this conversation a lot with people and a lot of the times they're partners that are really good friends mm -hmm. and I'm going I don't care if you're friends you must write a letter to each other today and lock it in your safe mm -hmm. and if you have an argument or you're thinking about splitting go in and read those letters because yeah. when it will be inevitable that a partnership will probably split up 80% mm -hmm. of them do but what's important is the when you split up, it always has to go to solicitors, unfortunately, because it's business. And solicitors make money out of making people be pissed off with each other. So whether or not you're pissed off with each other, you'll end up being pissed off with each other at the end of it anyway. So write the letter so that you remember why it was a benefit in the beginning. I love that. I think that is because it, it brings in the personal aspect of it, doesn't it? The human side again of it that like we went in this for reasons and there was love there at the start. It might not have been as a towards Someone reminded me actually last week about a partner. She was like, oh, but I want to get out and this isn't working and that isn't working and blah, blah. And I said, well, hang on a second, actually, because I met you before you did it. Mm -hmm. Remind me of the reasons why you went into it. And she gave me the reasons and I said, okay, so they haven't changed. Mm. And she said, you're right, actually, they haven't changed. I said, so now it's just personal. So it's ready to move on. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But look, business is business. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I've been in three different partnerships and, you know, they're never, it's never nice. Even like, like Peggy and me were in a, an amazing partnership and I'd work with her next week and work with her forever. She's my best pal. But it was still sad when we had to give up the business. Yeah, yeah. It's like common ground, isn't it? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, that was a different kind. Of, so when I opened Elite, mm -hmm. I kind of knew that the partnership wasn't for me. Okay. And so I didn't want to be in the business as much. So I actually launched um, a national magazine, well, a, a Munster magazine called Irish Woman. Mm -hmm with my friend and um and we sat we were a free magazine and we sat in all the five stars from Adair Manor to Fota to the Europe um and it was that was the worst business I think I've ever had I absolutely hated it <laughs> hey. oh do you know what oh 
it's just such much- hard work. That was sales. And I'm not, I don't, that was sales, but it's awareness. Yeah. And I'm a sales and marketing person. Yeah. So I want to market to bring you sales and awareness marketing doesn't float my boat. So I found that really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got out when we needed to get out, which was important. And then when we did get out, Elite Pilates just thrived. Yeah. Me and Lee took that over ourselves and it became an award-winning business. So yeah, amazing. So you still, you still obviously have Elite Pilates. And yeah. so what I suppose, you know, you've learned so much in, in your business. Um, and where do you feel like you are now personally within it? Well, obviously we have Elite Pilates. We've had yeah. that for seven, seven years. In 2018, I was offered an opportunity to go on Strictly Business with Sonia Lennon. So I launched bbell.ie. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially that was going to be a larger size leisure wear company. It very quickly became more about community. Um, but we will be doing um, the leisure and hopefully 2021, this isn't the year to do it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously 2020 has been like the maddest year. And I think it's it's been such an amazing year for me though, because um, the minute that shit hit the fan, I, I went into panic mode, I suppose. And I felt like, you know, how, how, how am I going to work? I'm used to being busy. I'm used to mm-hmm. helping people. What, what can I do when the whole country's closed down? So I just went, I'll go live. I'll go live with small businesses and experts and I'll bring people what they need. And very quickly, this fabulous community of amazing women in business started to sort of create I did some work, um, a lot of work with Apshu Rises as well. And I was just mad busy. And then I suppose about four months ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to disconnect from everything. I'd been five years in Network Island and Network Cork on the committee. I came off the committee. I stepped aside from Apshu Rises because it was taking up so much of my brain space as well. And I went, I'm just going to spend some time looking at what I can do. And I always mentored, you know, if you go on my LinkedIn 2008 business coach, um, you know, I've always done it, but it's always been my side hustle. Yeah. And it just became so busy. So it's now my main role Yeah. is helping people in business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll still I'll be back in Network Cork next year once my brain has sorted this out and I'll be back help, you know, working with Up She Rises. It's all about collaboration and, and we have all so much in common. But what I've decided to do is launch um, the club. Mm-hmm. And the club is for solopreneurs, entrepreneurs and small SMEs. And it's only really directed at people that work for themselves because I know how lonely and how uncelebrated that can be sometimes. So we'll have monthly meetups. We will do monthly reviews on people that are part of the club. Um, The podcast Straight Talking will go out privately to to that group of women. Um, And yeah, I'm super excited. I can't wait. Because I think I think when I started my business and you were fantastic support to me in that and still are that it's it's so lonely like it's like it's so lonely and it's so and especially for me because none of my friends have done it didn't have the same struggles as me they're like why are you always working like it's and, and I'm like I have to and I and it's also with an addiction to it I think as well because it's all down to you and I think to have a space where you are with like-minded people because I don't believe it and I, I can't really compare because obviously I only started over COVID but like it's so much needed because it's such the amount of people I've met through this I have their own business I didn't even know about I'm thinking these people are just just kind of seem to kind of go off by themselves and I'm like no we need to come together and the amount of opportunity that will come with that is just incredible so it's such an exciting time and I think it puts a positive spin on the year we've had isn't it like it, it kind of for I think I feel I don't know if we're kind of in the same boat with that that it was the year that kind of made my life change in a direction yeah. that I wasn't expecting and I think that's can be the same said for you Shan 
hundred percent. Look, I mean, look, this to be honest, you know, in my personal life, I, 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 you know, there's other things that have gone on that have been major challenges and proven my resilience to myself. And that's the only reason why I am the way that I am. Mm. Um, so this isn't big fry for me. Mm. Um, the biggest, you know, I've always said, if no one got hurt this year and no one had died, it's actually been one of the best, most reflective times for people to really understand what's important to them. Yeah. And for me, everything is about community. It always has been since I was a kid and yeah. I was that social butterfly and never getting involved in just one group and connecting people. Um, and now I do that for a business. Like what else? How good does your life get? Do you know what I mean? And I just think the freedom of working on your own and allowing that creative space is just like, there's nothing like it. And I just, I'm just, I think it's a fabulous position to be in and it allows for so much collaboration. So it's brilliant. So good luck with that, Jan. And we can't wait to see how, how that goes. Just towards the end, I always ask the guests, uh, Shan, um, students coming out and you've given a lot of advice, but if you were to say something to them now coming out, what would be your advice to them? Uh, Watch your ego and don't believe your own hype. You may have come up with the first class honours, but that means absolutely sod all to me. Yeah. Prove your position. Yeah. Know that nothing happens just because you say it's going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, do you know what? Just hustle. Get out there and hustle. Totally agree. And that's a great way to finish. So thank you so much, Shavon, for coming on and see you on the next episode of the What's Next podcast. Fabulous. <laughs>